Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Thanks, Ryan, and uh, good morning, LBCFians and friends. Good to be with you this morning. Um, I want to give a shout out to my cousins who tuned in today. I love you very much. Um, when you have family that are also dear friends, it's more precious than words can say. So grateful for that. I also want to rejoice with the uh, Selga family as Leo was declared cancer-free this month. So woohoo and hip hip huzzah for her. And, uh, and our dear sister, Valida, who went through a rough week, or, or more than a rough week from sickness, she was healed, and she's continuing to be healed, I could say now. Um, these are valuable women to our community and uh, to the kingdom, and God was having mercy on them, even for our sake. So we rejoice with that. Uh, yesterday, it felt like I got a new uh, lease on life. Um, because I went kayaking in uh, Alamitos Bay. Um, it's good to have some semblance of normalcy and enjoyment uh, in the midst of being quarantined and feeling hemmed in on every side. But uh, for me, there's like a feeling of discouragement and kind of depression, like I'm trapped and I want to break free of that feeling. Maybe you've been feeling like that too. I don't know, but I, I would imagine so. Uh, if you have young ones at home and have run out of games to play and things to do with them, I, and I hear you saying, yeah, that happened in April, um, <laughs> take heart. Um, what I want to know and what I would like to talk about today is how in the middle of a pandemic where we can't see or even touch each other, can we truly come out of ourselves and love each other with, when the reality is that it's tough to be with ourselves, never mind anybody else. Um, in our news we, newsletter this week, Sam Smith, our uh, operations manager here at LBCF, said this, I've been pondering on Steve's message about setting our, aside our hyper-individualism to make space for others. And then uh, this week she read Henry Nowen, uh, who said that in the first commandment, we're called to love God with all our heart and soul and mind, which often leads us to believe that we have to divide our love and attention evenly between God and others. Uh, the second commandment, uh, but God, but uh, now and proposes or poses that it's actually in our total undivided commitment to God, that God is revealed to us as the God of our neighbor, and so makes our love of God a love that embraces all people in time and space, and so that we begin to see people as not an infringement on our autonomy, but rather our brothers and sisters. So may the Holy Spirit breathe that truth into us this week as we talk about Philippians. So in the book of Philippians, uh, what we're what we notice is that um, this is this is something written around 60 to 64 AD in Rome, where when Paul was in prison, like Mary was saying earlier, and there's a key phrase that appears over and over and over and over and over. It's eight times the word rejoice, just like Mary was saying, um, the word rejoice comes up again and again. And so it's it's an interesting perspective because you wonder why uh, he would say that when he's in that state. 
Now, if you think about what was happening in, in Philippi, this is where the first European convert uh, came to Jesus. And it was a woman named Lydia. And she was a businesswoman uh, in the city of Philippi, which is a big, uh, you know, commerce, city of commerce there. And um, she was the first one that came. She came to Paul and they were talking and she, she came to Christ and then invited them. Listen to this. As soon as she came to know Jesus, she invited them to stay with her in her home uh, at her place. I think it's really interesting, the hospitality that's exhibited when somebody has an experience with Jesus. And Lydia was doing that. And this is also where Paul and Silas were jailed, basically for performing a miracle. Uh, they were healing a woman who was following after them, and she was demon possessed. And they were um, and they were thrown into the slammer because he rebuked her and and cast out the demon. And all the people who uh, were the idol makers in the area that uh, this woman kind of supported uh, started getting affected by that monetarily. And they started making a ruckus and they ended up throwing Paul and Silas in prison for this. So this is all in the book of Acts chapter 16. But it gives you a background on what was going on in Philippi. There was a there was a real challenge to authority uh, by the Philippians that are saying strongly Jesus is king when, of course, uh, most of Philippi would be saying Caesar is king. Right. And uh, so these two, these two, Paul and Silas, went into jail, and there was a. They started singing praises to God in the middle of the night, and rejoicing. And there was an earthquake, and all the the prison cells opened up, and the people inside were, you know, the prisoners were ready to take off. And the jailer, seeing all that going on, said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna end it." So he was going to kill himself. And Paul said, wait, 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 we're all here. And he came into Paul, asked for a light so he could see what was going on. And he said, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your whole house. And so he did. And then he did something interesting, another act of hospitality. He cleaned the wounds of Paul and Silas that they had suffered uh, because when you throw somebody in prison, you usually beat them and then threw them into prison. And that's what he was doing. He was cleaning them up before then. So he did that. And Lydia and this Philippian jailer were two of the initial people who came to know Jesus in that entire region. And so I would imagine that they were in this church when Paul was writing the letter those two were in there hearing the, the words of Paul as he wrote to, uh, to the Philippian church from Rome, from his imprisonment. So Paul also had an affinity for the church of Philippi, and it seemed like they were taking to heart the encouragement that Paul left, um, left with them after originally founding the church there. Um, he wrote it, you know, if you think about it and you start reading that first chapter, you realize that he wrote the letter to thank the church for their gift. Um, given to him by a man named Epaphroditus, one of their own uh, people. And then he actually sent this letter back at Epaphroditus' hand. So I love the fact that Paul 
is constantly naming different people in the congregation. And, uh, and I try to take that tact in how, when I give a message or share with somebody, I try to, ex you know, just kind of exalt and point out examples of how people are actually doing this, you know, having hospitality or, hey, Leah's been healed um, or whatever it is that's going on. I like to share that because I think that it brings a realness to how we communicate together. And so that this isn't just Matt, the talking head, telling you the latest thing that he believes about scripture, right? It's something that's fleshed out. So the main point of this book seems to be rejoice, because he mentions it eight times, and be like Jesus. In the first chapter, he tells them not only he thanks him, he does all this work that God has done within them. He says, it's going to continue until Jesus comes again. And in the second chapter, he includes this poem that tells not only the truth of who Jesus is, that he's God in the flesh, but also that he serves as the example of how to live a life that's responsive to God, that gives serves and models humility to and for all of us. This is the scripture that Ryan just read today. And, and can you bring that one up for me, Andrew? Thank you. So you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Although he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. And instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what I want to say is that last part where it says that, that uh, every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father is actually an Old Testament reference to Isaiah chapter 44, I believe it is, where he's saying that every tongue will eventually confess to me God the Lord. And so what, he, what Paul's doing here is he's actually equating Jesus that he is that same one he's talking about in Isaiah, that Jesus is that one. And the thing that's mind-blowing about it all is then it brings to mind for me the night that Jesus was betrayed in John 13, where he washes his disciples' feet. Do you have that one, Andrew? Can you throw that one up for me? So before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his, his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. That means he loved them to with the maximum amount of love that you could ever communicate to someone. He had done that. He had put that all out there on the table for his, his disciples. And it was, it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus had, knowing that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God, 
Think about that. He was, it's saying here that he was identifying himself as God, the son. And he was saying, okay, I, I know that I'm returning to God. I know who I am fully. So he gets up from the table, takes off his robe, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel that he had around them. I, I have such a hard time getting my head around the fact that God would actually do this for us and for me specifically, Matt Cullen. It's a... Um, it's humbling to think about it, and it's humbling to um, imagine that happening, you know, picturing this scene. What I think about is how easily we make this into something of a practice. In some churches, we've made this into a practice where we wash each other's feet. And unfortunately, in that practice, um, we miss the realness of what it means to wash one another's feet, which is basically to serve one another. And although it might be a reminder in some areas, right, where we do that, but I'll tell you what, when I've been in churches where they would do that on a regular basis, you certainly know that those people are all washing their feet before they come to have their feet washed. That wasn't the case here. Jesus was washing their feet and they were filthy. And, um, and filthy because they, you know, they're just wearing sandals and walking all over in dirt and everything. And so he's he's really getting into it. But when when we see that kind of lowliness and hospitality, thanks, Andrew, you can take that one down. Um, and when we see that kind of hospitality, uh, that kind of service of one another in a regular way, uh, sometimes we might miss it because it's kind of a a less than experience. But when we are on the receiving end of that, it's not a less than experience. So we see that kind of hospitality when we have each other over for a meal or used to maybe before COVID, um, like Mary and Denny trying to, they do it all the time. Or when we pray for one another, like we do when somebody's on our heart, or like the prayer team does regularly, just because they know that God hears and answers our prayers. Or maybe when we reach out with an encouraging call uh, or a text to a friend just because, kind of like Steve Thomas who set the example for us last week um, in helping us to reach out to other people to in a text message. One friend told me last week that she had received three texts from folks last week during the message, and it really encouraged her. So that's what's happening in the second chapter of um, Philippians. In the third chapter, Paul explains that the things that he did before he met Jesus, even the things that were good and right, were like a steaming pile of cow manure. That's what he called it. Why? Why? Because they weren't valuable or important? No. He even says, the things that were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what's more, I consider everything loss. And the reason is because of the surpassing worth of knowing 
Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. And I consider them garbage, steaming pile of cow manure, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I'm not having my own righteousness that comes from myself or that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings and becoming like, made likened to him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And I haven't obtained any of this, and nor have I arrived at my goal, he said. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me for. I don't consider myself to even to taking hold of it, but this is what I do. I forget the things that are behind and I strain like a like an athlete running a race and finishing and they you see them stretch out and they put their chest out straining toward that which is what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus he's comparing himself he's comparing that all of his original things that he did and his accomplishments to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus I probably, uh, I, I was thinking about that recently this week in that I've known Jesus for, I've known Jesus for probably 40 years. And all of the things that I feel like I've accomplished for his kingdom, and I've done a lot of good things and great things that have made an impact on a lot of people over the many years but still it's it's really nothing in comparison to how much i really want to know him and and even feel a lack of knowing him like i'd like to in the fourth chapter Paul talks more and he says this is how you can have the attitude that Jesus had he even talked about how Jesus gave himself and emptied himself and all of that and in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 this is what Paul's encouragement is to us hey don't worry about anything instead pray about everything Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience it. God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts, your minds, as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. That's our motivation of how we are to think about one another because Jesus even Jesus was not about himself 
even though he was who he was and is who he is, the God of glory. He wasn't wrapped up in that. He wasn't wrapped up in himself. He served, he gave, he constantly was about other people. And that gets, it gets um, wearisome to be that way, right? To live that way. And I can't say it from much experience because I think that even though there are occasions and lights, uh, you know, in the darkness where I, I feel like I have been that way, I don't know that uh, that's the, the manner in which I do life. I, I'd like to think it is, but it's not always, you know. So how is the scripture telling us to respond to all this, right? So in the middle of a pandemic where we can't see or touch each other, can we truly come out of ourselves and love each other with the reality when the reality is that it's tough to be with ourselves and nobody else and never mind anything else? Do the little things because they end up being bigger than you know. What if our ability to see things differently lies in the fact that not only are we never alone because Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us, but that we're also never alone because even when our brothers and sisters are not with us, they are with us. How? Let me give you an example. I know that one of the things that I've gone through some tough things in life. And, and when I was in that, you know, those tough times, I think that you realize that your brothers and sisters cannot be with you. It's only going to be you, right? You have to be with yourself and, and manage your life and take ownership and responsibility and all that things that you need to do for yourself. And it's just you. And of course, Jesus is with you. And then all of a sudden, you get the relief from Jesus as he takes the prayers of your brothers and sisters and puts them right in front of you. And then he answers this one over here and he puts that one right in front of you. And he takes this one over here and puts that right in front of you. And, uh, when he does that, then you know that your brothers and sisters, when they're praying for you, when they're encouraging you, and they're giving you some hope, and you don't even realize it then because their prayers, and it says this in Scripture, that our prayers are stored up and offered to God. And I think maybe one of the reasons they're stored up is so that they can be provided for in the moment when we're in need of those things that our brothers and sisters have been praying for and that we've requested from them and they've prayed for. And God is providing an answer even way after the fact of somebody praying. So when you're alone and pondering your life and your aloneness, your dilemma, your struggles, your pain, your hope, your joy, your things you're thankful for, etc. Don't those brothers and sisters come to mind? I pray that they would. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our brothers and sisters who come to mind when we're going through difficulties and who I know that our brothers and sisters, even that I mentioned on this, uh, on this thing today, that uh, 
like the, the people that uh, Leah and Jeremy know who have been praying for them and they've felt their prayers and they um, uh, have really uh, expected you to come through. And when they did, they knew that people were standing with them. And, and for my precious Valida, she's just so such a joy. And when she goes through hardship and she knows that not only that God is with her in it, but also that her brothers and sisters are on her side. And it's nothing like that feeling. So Lord, I pray that those things come to our minds when we're going through our stuff and, and that we would trust you, Lord, that you're going to bring those prayers to fruition and that you're going to bring those things to light and you're going to give us the things that we need. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for the example of Jesus, that you, Lord, knowing who you are, have humbled yourself so that you have enabled us and you empower us with your Holy Spirit living within us to do the same. Lord, let us do that. We trust you. Lord. Amen.